Well, we want to talk today about the focal point of human history with the bottom line question, who did that? You'll understand that more in a bit. As I just mentioned more than a week ago, in one of the great war crimes of our times, Putin of Russia amassed the might of his terrible forces on the borders of Ukraine, and now he is coming from various directions with his troops and indiscriminately killing innocent civilians, not to mention just kind of systematically destroying a country that, as I mentioned in my prayer, was not a hostile power. And those of us who have a little more sense of history know how easily, with almost the pull of a trigger, something could happen and we would be launched into World War III. Some people just don't get it. I'm not talking about you. For example, this is just a metaphor of the lunacy of people in our country who have no perspective, whatever. There's this program, kind of infamous in my opinion, The View. And there's this, uh, and I call her crazy because I think she is, this Joy Behar. And she was all upset, not because of the terrible things going on in Ukraine, but what this might mean for her summer vacation in Italy. And you just think, lady, get a life. Do you have any idea what's going on in the world? Do you have any sense of history? Do you? You're crazy. And, of course, many have said that since I've said it or before I said it. People today, as I say in my word from the pastor, and it's when I say today, it's been throughout history. But we seem to have very little perspective and certainly not on the center point of history, the pivot point. And it's right here in this passage. That's because the answer to all of the problems that afflict this world, that afflict our nation, and sometimes our personal lives, right here it is. Right here is the difference between condemnation and salvation. Right here in the passage I'm going to read is in miniature the story of the whole history of man. Rebellion against God. Right here is the ultimate expression of the forces of hell arrayed in open hostility to God in the crucifixion of his son and Satan dedicated to the destruction of the human race. That's what it's all about. Leading up to this and everything that follows is God working out his purposes in this way and that, ultimately bringing about a new heavens and a new earth, a new paradise to replace the one that our first parents brought down. So on our scale of important things, I sometimes I personally do marvel at how much human activity 
and how many historical events just get wildly distorted and blown out of proportion in terms of what they really matter. So I want us to go back to ground level 2,100 years ago and watch the foundation, the pivot point of God's plan of human redemption play out in his son. So we're in Matthew uh, 27, and uh, we want to pick up. Actually, I'm backing up a couple of verses that we had to just charge past last Sunday. Pilate, of course, is trying to worm his way out of a very difficult decision. He knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows that the only reason the Jewish leaders want him crucified is because they're jealous. They're jealous of his standing among the people. And uh, he's a threat to them in various ways. And they want rid of him. And now they've drug him before Pilate after a midnight (laughs) kangaroo court. And uh, they've got him up on trumped-up charges. Pilate knows they're false. He's... He's investigated in the Roman way, and he knows this all is a bag of gas. So he thinks, now I'm reading something into the text, but I'm not the first one. Sometimes you've got to read between the lines. Pilate was wanting to let Jesus go, and then it says, after they cry out, Pilate's trying to just... Can we just chill out and let this not happen? Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. Gee, they had no sense. When Pilate saw, verse 24, that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather, boy, he didn't want this. A riot was starting. If you're in charge, you let a riot start. You're a Roman. You got a heavy-duty price to pay. He did not want that. So he took water and he washed his hands and he said, Look, the coward, I'm innocent of this man's blood. No way, Jose, neither before God nor man. You know this man is innocent. Have the guts to stand up and say, I'm in charge here. That's not going to happen. But no, he was afraid that word would get back to Rome that uh, they had this kind of felon on their hands and Pilate let him go. That would not be good for his career. I'm innocent of this man's blood. So, okay, I'm authorizing you. uh, See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, this is very important, very important. His blood on us and on our children. They called down a curse on themselves. Then Pilate released Barabbas for them. The substitute, we've been over that. Jesus, he scourged and delivered over to be crucified. When you put the various gospel accounts together, they're not contradictory, but they complement one another. And it appears that maybe what Pilate was doing here, these scourgings I explained to you were horrible. They were just horrible. And uh, they had these these bones, metal tips on them, and they rip a hide right off. And often these, they would be flogged on the way to the cross, and sometimes they died. Interesting with Jesus, he flogs him before this ever starts. 
and probably his entrails were showing and he was bleeding out. And many have theorized about this. It's not me trying to be creative. He probably thought, okay, I'll mess him over. That's what scourging will do. He, uh, he'll look more like roadkill after a scourging than a uh, victim headed for crucifixion. So I'll mess him over real good, put him out before him, and they'll feel a little sorry for him and say, okay, that's good enough. He won't be good for the road again. It's the only way we can account for why Pilate, who knew he was innocent, said, okay, take him away and scourge him. They typically did that, but as I say, they did it on the way to the cross. So why would they do it at this time? Interesting. Well, we'll leave that point laying right there. What I want to do is focus on this terrible curse. I'm talking about history. So track with me. I say this because most moderns know or read very little of history. But being Christians, most of us, you're probably aware of this. There's been no people on the face of the planet throughout history that has been so persecuted, so hounded, so bloodied up as the Jewish people. What are they doing to anybody? Europe hated them, not only the Germans, even the British during the Second World War. If it weren't for providential figures like Winston Churchill, that would have wiped them out. Hitler took six million of them, cooked them in ovens. Oh, wow. Still today in our universities, our intelligentsia tends to be anti-Semitic. Why? They are typically a brilliant people. They're a good ally to have. They occupy high places all over the world, even in Russia. Why does everybody hate the Jews? Why do people want to exterminate the Jews? And it wasn't just when Christ came. It was before. You go back to the book of Esther. You remember Haman wanted to kill the Jews because he hated one man. Wipe them all out. That's all satanic inspiration. The Jewish people play a great role in what God has done and is doing on this earth. And you see it in prophecy. There's where it comes from. And right here at the cross, in Jesus, 
It all comes to a focal point. Not only his fellow Jews, but the Romans. The devil inspires it and wants to kill him because of his place in God's plan. And they just want to get rid of those Jews. Not everybody's open about it. But you dig around and it comes out. But there's something here that also accounts for what's going on in our day and since that time with the Jews. These people and their representatives, hey, they stood for the people. It wasn't just them. They represented in their spirit too many of the Jewish people. And they said before God, they took a curse on themselves, and they said, okay, Pilate, doesn't matter what you say. We know the guy is guilty. We don't want him. We can't stand him. We want to get rid of him. And let his blood be upon us and our children. Well, believe you me, it has been for 2,100 years. Yeah. It's a judgment of God, and yet hear me. Hear me. It is absolutely no excuse for any anti-Semitism. We believers love the Jewish people, and we know the plan of God and their place in it. And we know that there's coming a great national conversion when with mourning they will regret with repentance their rejection of their Messiah. The Bible tells us about that. But right now, and since that time, especially in 70 A.D., when the Romans came in under Vespasian and then his son Titus, they destroyed Jerusalem and Judea. And basically the Jews basically just didn't exist anymore there. But it has continued down through history. <clears throat> I remember my dad telling me one time when I was uh, messing around, we were walking out on that Red Dog Slag Road where our home was. My dad had been a baseball pitcher and I was wanting to impress him. So we were coming up on Speck Davis's mailbox, which is about as far as from here over there. And I picked up a piece, a piece of slag and I teed off and bing, 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 I hit that mailbox. Well, I was probably 13. And Dad said to me, it's really good. <laughs> Jimmy, son, don't mess with the government. I was a young idiot and I didn't know what I was doing. My mailbox was the property of the U.S. government. Now, you put it at that level, and I finally get it. Well, the Jews were messing with God. They were messing with the very Son of God, who was manifest to us in human flesh. The Son of Man, the Son of God, and a mystery we can't get around. But, oh, this was not just the crime of the century. This was the crime of world history the pivot point of history. And they were crucifying and insulting the Son of God. And then they were 
bold enough to say, hey, we don't care. We know this guy is a bad dude. His blood be upon us and upon our children. Boy, has it. You see, we look back and we realize right there that just seems to be a an historical event that took place in time. Yes, it was bad. It was horrible. What other adjective can you drag up? But it was. It was historic. And it reverberates in history down to this day. And what's going on in that part of the world, what's going on in the world, all of that goes back to that point. They were messing with God in the person of his son. God has a great plan for the Jews. But right now, they're on the wrong side of it and there's punishment going on. Whoever you are, you're not a Jew. We've got Jews in this church. I've got one sitting over there as my wife. David's got Jewish roots. Some of you. Well, my family on my mother's side, Deets, but they spell it differently. I asked my uncle why. He said so. They wouldn't get caught up in the persecution, spell their name differently. Many of you probably have a similar thing. But God is still reaching out person by person like the Apostle Paul, like so many in the New Testament church, reaching out, touching hearts of individual Jews and drawing them to Christ. And many of them are powerful witnesses, have been and will be. But as a nation, they've got blood on them and God's calling them to to account for that. So when you listen to the talking heads and read the newspapers, put that face on it and you understand a little more of history. Now in verses 26 and following... He released Pilate, Barabbas for them, but Jesus he scourged and delivered over to be crucified. Verse 27, the soldiers of the governor, they took Jesus into the praetorium of the uh, fortress, we believe. It could have been Herod's old palace. We don't know for sure. And they gathered the whole Roman cohort. Who are we talking about? Gathered him. I mean him, a man. Yeah, a man, but more than a man. Who, what did they do to the Son of God? And who's doing this? Well, it's not just the Jews. Only by representation. But these are the Roman soldiers. These are us. Yeah, we'll talk about that. They stripped him. Just stripped him. Made him stand there as a man naked as a jaybird. This is the Son of God, human beings. This is the focal point of human history. God working out His plan of redemption. And His Son had to go through this for you and me. 
No wonder in the Garden of Gethsemane as he foresaw it all. Father, speaking as a man, Father, three times, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He saw it like a movie all going before his eyes. The horror of it all, the pain of it all, the insult of it all. And somebody ran and got a scarlet robe reminding of a high-ranking Roman official or a king, more likely a king, scarlet or purple. And they put it on him. Jews. What a fraud. You Oh, oh, a king needs a crown. Hey, 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 hey. Somebody go out and get one of those plants. I can barely remember it. Anathusa or something like that. I've seen them. Got big, long thorns about like that. Let's, uh, let's weave him a crown. King needs a crown. This is the Son of God we're talking about. And so they plait a crown and they're all laughing and mocking and yeah, here we go. Whoop! Down on his head. If you've seen those things, I can't imagine it. And uh oh, they had put a They'd put a reed in his hand. King has to have a scepter, doesn't he? So they put a reed in his right hand, and then these soldiers. These are Gentiles. These are us. Us. This is humanity. What humanity did and is still doing to the Son of God. And they kneeled before him and mocked, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him they took the reed and they beat him on the head with it you want to talk about tough you would have heard me from Jerusalem to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea he stood there he didn't cower The Son of Man is also the Son of God. Stood there like a lamb led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. And this was the will of his Father who was in heaven. He was to be our substitute. To suffer in our place. And the Spirit of God strengthened him. Don't think for a minute, I've mentioned this so many times, that there was some time in the mystery of this divine person, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Son of God revealed in the flesh, that there was some sort of mysterious divine anesthesia so that it wouldn't feel to him like it would feel to us and he could stand. No, 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 no. We'll see that on the cross. He refuses absolutely anything. That would in any way numb the pain. What a man. What a man. And he stood there. 
And we would say, I do not mean to be profane. I just want to connect. They beat the hell out of him. And after verse 31, they had mocked him. They took his robe off to get him ready for the main event. They put his garments, such as they were, on him. And they led him away to crucify him. The mock coronation was over. Well, and as they were coming out, they found a certain Serenian. You talk about the purposes, and it still works like that. You talk about the providence of God. God's still ruling this world behind the scenes. He's playing history like a master chess player, moving this part, moving that part, and here saving one, condemning another. And here comes this Serenian. He was a Jew. His, he was a native of North Africa, what we call Libya today. And he was there, whether living there or on business, he was coming out out of the countryside. And here comes this execution procession. And in the providence of God, they converge. About this time, Jesus has probably bled out enough. He falters under the load of the cross. There's debate about whether he was carrying just the cross beam or the whole cross. doesn't matter much. Can you imagine a rough old tree, any part of it thrown on your shoulders when they were just totally raw? Could see the bones probably. See his innards. But he carried it a certain distance. Finally, probably because of the bleeding out, his strength faltered. Roman soldiers sure weren't going to carry it for him. There was a Serenian. He had a name. We meet him later in the New Testament. Simon. Hey, you. Yeah. They, uh, they put him into service, requisitioned his body. You carry this. Well, Simon had no choice. Roman soldiers told him to do it. He didn't know what was going on. God did. And so he carried Jesus to the, carried the cross to the spot of the execution. By the way, it's called Golgotha. It means the place of the skull. You know why. Just outside the city walls. That's where the Romans did it. Within sight of the highway running outside the city walls. You know why they would do that. <laughs> they wanted the whole populace. This is what the Romans do with people they don't like. This is what we do with people that mess with us. So there was Jesus, and whether they had gone before or come after, there were a couple of uh, thieves, robbers, 
they were going to be executed too, but right now the focus is upon Jesus. And they uh, had Simon carry him, carry the cross. Simon had two sons, we learn later, Rufus and Alexander. And they became prominent believers among the New Testament saints. You talk about having balls up in the air. There's our God. The crucifixion of his son. Horrible event. And yet the Spirit of God was working through this and this conjunction of Simon and this execution party to bring this man into play and it would become God's means of bringing him to know Christ. You hear stories like that all the time. Well, terrible thing. We saw there in verses 33 and following the divine insult. Now, one thing is curious about all of that is that I, as I am narrating this story in my own terms, I, as a, a soft American, and most of us in this room are pretty doggone soft, me included, I look at the horror of that suffering and I just shudder. But you will notice that none of the gospel writers really accentuate the details of the suffering. And you wonder, why is that? Well, they don't tell us. But lots of times you have to read between the lines. And maybe a little history, too. And you understand that crucifixions were the norm with Romans other than their citizens. It's the way they punished their slaves if they had a death sentence. And it's kind of like what's going on in Portland right now and other cities. Every day, I don't have it with me, my cell phone, I'm always afraid the stupid thing's going to ring. But every day, Aussie gets her news from watching TV, I get it from my phone. Every day, it seems that people are dying in the city. Car wrecks, carjackings, gang violence, and you know it's, it's through the roof. And I keep wondering, why are people sitting still for it? Why are people not clamoring? Get rid of these clowns that run this city, run the counties, run. It's the frog in the tea kettle syndrome. A little killing here, a little carjacking there, a little thievery over here, a little killing here, a little carjacking there, a little home invasion here. Somebody hurts, somebody's in the hospital. Oh, yeah, and then after a while our eyes just run over. That's just the way it is. And that's the way it was with crucifixions. They were here, they were there. They had this site called the Place of the Skull. And that's where they did all of that. And people were always coming by. Probably always somebody up there being crucified. They got hardened to it. That's 
perhaps the reason that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't sensationalize, yes, the insults, but not the physical suffering. It was so well known. Jesus wasn't the only person to ever be crucified. What do they accentuate in these narratives? The insult. Oh, man. The insult. The insult of God. The insult to the Son of God. Human beings could be so sin-hardened, live in such darkness, that they could do this to Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. They could do, do they know what they're doing? Are they crazy? Are they mad? Not just the Jews, but these Roman soldiers. The insult of it all. It gets worse. When they came to the place called Golgotha, verse 33, which means the place of the skull. Calvary is Latin. Same thing. They gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. It's thought. We don't know for sure just why, but that was maybe a numbing agent. And after, but it didn't taste good, I'll tell you that. After tasting it, ah, he got one little taste of it, and your Lord and my Savior knew what it was all about, and he was not going to compromise his suffering. Nope. I'd say, give me a bottle, bring the whole jug, anything. But he didn't. He was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, you talk about insult, divine insult. This is prophecy fulfilled. It's right back there in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They didn't know what they were doing. The soldiers had no clue. But this had been predicted a thousand years. What did I say? Ten? A hundred? A thousand years before. They divided up his garments among themselves. Trophies, like a serial killer. These guys were serial killers. They did this all the time. And they liked to keep trophies. So they cast lots. You take this, you take that, and I'll take something else. They divided his garments among them, casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. Nobody wanted anybody stealing his body and claiming that he survived the cross. It had been known to happen. And then they put above his head the charge against him. Pilate didn't know exactly what he was doing. They didn't like this, as we learn. The charge was, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Put that in quotes. The king of the Jews. That's the problem. That's why he's on this cross. And at that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who were passing by, this is all prophecy too. That's why the letters are in caps. 
passing by, they were hurling abuse at him. Oh, gee. Saying, hey, you, hey, you up there, <laughs> you on the cross. <laughs> You're the guy that said you destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, that's not exactly what Jesus was talking about physically. Hey, you. We got this right. You, you claim to be the son of God. Well, come on. Come on down from across. Sprawled out there naked for all the world to see. Come on. Folks, this is the world. It's not just those people. It was the people of that day. It's the people of the days before it. It's the people of our day. Get to that. So in the same way, the chief priest, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, <laughs> Hey, you, Jesus up there, you, uh, you saved others. I mean, I mean, this Lazarus guy, they knew they couldn't deny. You, you raised him from, the, can you believe this? You raised him from the dead. Well, here there's another lady up there, widow of Nain or something. You raised him. And all these lepers you healed and all these the paralytics and you supposedly did all that stuff. So uh, come down from a cross. We'll believe you then. And then this is from prophecy. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. Let God deliver him now. If God will have him. If God will have have a piece of meat up there on the cross. If God wants you. Well, you said, didn't he? Right? You all heard him? And Jesus did say, I'm the son of God. And those robbers who had been crucified with him, though we find the other gospels, one repented, were casting the same insult at him. No, that's what the gospel writers accentuate, not the bleeding out, not the raw flesh, not the crown of thorns, as horrible as those things are to imagine. But the implications for the human race Represented there in the Jews that said, let him be crucified. Represented in Pilate who says, okay, you got him. I can't deal with you. Represented in the soldiers who mocked him there in the praetorium. And then in all the crowds outside, fickle crowds, some of them once cheered him. Now they're saying, okay, buddy, come on down. We'll believe in you. The insult to God. Well, here's the ringing question as I wind this up. I've often mentioned my pastor in seminary, First Baptist Church, the great W.A. Criswell. One of the high privileges of my life was to be in his church, mine and Aussie's. There are two messages that he brought in our four-year term there that I've never forgotten. This is one. And I think it was on a Palm Sunday, but I don't remember for sure. And he had a style 
It's inimitable. I can't do it. But I'll do the best I can. And it'll be a pretty poor job. But here was this congregation in this great arena, the floor filled out, probably 3,000 of us. And this horseshoe, and I was always, Aussie and I were always sitting up here on the balcony. First row looking over. Criswell went through all of this, and it was dramatic. You could hear his voice crack as he described the scene. And then he said what I say to you. He said it in a voice that I can't muster. Who did that? Who did that? Somebody says, those Jews, those dirty Jews, they did that. Somebody says, no, Pilate did that. Somebody says, no, the Gentiles did that. The Romans, I say to you, oh, I wish I could capture that voice. I say to you, said Criswell, I did that. I did it. I say to you, you, and this was one of his phrases, somebody, you, somebody, you, somebody, you, you did that. I say, we all did that. And he was right on target. Don't look back in history and say they did it. No. Every one of us did it because we're all sinners. And he had to die for every one of us because we were rebels against God. He had to come and be our substitute and go through all of that horror and all of that insult. Yeah, it was us. It was us. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, you're still insulting him. Oh, I wouldn't say those words. Well, if you were God, thank goodness none of us are. (laughs) But if you were God watching your son go through that, and you sitting on the sidelines, not protesting, not contradicting the insults, not receiving him, well... I would be saying you're guilty. In fact, if it were me, I'd be madder to people who said nothing than those who said those things. People sometimes call themselves my friends and they do nothing. They say nothing. So I want you to know as we close that in the eyes of God, you can try to be Pilate and say, I'm innocent of this man's blood, but you're not. This is history, and all human history is included in one of those groups. And the only way you can change that is to say, I renounce that, I repent. And I receive the Son of God who became the Son of Man as my Savior and as my Lord. And God will completely, totally forgive you and 
you will have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the kindness that you have shown us. We pray that your spirit would take the message that is embedded in this passage and use it to prick the hearts of any who may be unbelievers and use it, our Father, to help us realize, those of us who know you, what you have done for us and to understand what the center point of history is. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.